What's up? Part two with Josh Duclo. This was recorded January 25th, so after uh, the inauguration of Joe Biden. This is 2021 now. Josh Duclo is the host of Fresh Take on WHBY, as well as Civic Revival. It's a podcast covering national politics. You can find either of those uh, anywhere you've listen to your podcast. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Josh Duplo. Four, three. What's up, friends? What's up, friends? We're back. But why not? But why not? All right. So we are live. Welcome back if you are new, which a lot of you probably are, um, been doing a lot of stuff since we last did a podcast slash live show. This is somewhere in the mid to late 50s. Um, it's kind of a, a personal project, and we really want to give long-form, uninterrupted voices to people in Northeast Wisconsin. So we're here with Josh Duclo, who does Fresh Take, WHBY and Civic Revival. He has his own podcast. And Josh is super involved in the community in Northeast Wisconsin. Uh, Today, I'm personally in Appleton Beer Factory, which will hopefully be hosting some more in-person podcast live show episodes here moving forward. Today we're virtual, and I think we'll have a few more virtual powwows as we come out of this, but we left off the live show with Josh uh, a few months ago around the election time and now we're bringing it back around the inauguration time and uh, and I'm excited to get Josh's take um, so first and foremost um, let's just uh, let's just jump right in into that Josh so on what what have you been kind of seeing and talking about since uh since the election or since the inauguration sorry so yeah the inauguration was not even a week ago uh one week before that day the house voted on a second impeachment resolution for president donald trump one week before that day was the official counting and certification of the electoral college vote which of course most people probably remember was disrupted when a pro-trump rally down the mall made its way to the capitol and uh, confronted capitol police actually invaded the building and tragically several people lost their lives in the melee that ensued Uh, more than 100 people have since been arrested i've been talking a lot about that in my work because uh, my podcast you mentioned evan civic revival people can get it wherever they get podcasts that show's focused on a principle that's called rule of law this is just kind of a, a concept that a lot of people might be familiar with but not know exactly what it's about and rule of law is all about just having the system be predictable that things are happening the way they're supposed to and obviously um in the two and a half months since election day we've had a big challenge and test of the rule of law in america so that's a lot what i've been talking about on the podcast we talked uh in the most recent episode about the pardons that president trump gave on his way out the door 
as well as the big controversy over free speech rights and the deplatforming of President Trump. So those are some of the topics in recent episodes of Civic Revival, if folks want to check that out. But on the radio show, it's five days a week. It's local. I try to keep it as much as I can local. But when we had as big a presidential election as we did in 2020, that tended to eat up a lot of time and space on my radio show as well. So honestly, in the past few weeks, I've been trying to sort of shift back into that more predominantly local flavor of the show, really focusing in on what's happening in Madison with the beginning of a new legislative session there, attempts to pass COVID relief through a Republican legislature that could actually earn the signature of a Democratic governor, Tony Evers. There were some surprises there. Um, Really interested in following What's going to happen with the Republican Party now that Donald Trump is out of office? Uh, What does that mean for those Republicans in office that were loyal to him, those who were not as loyal to him? That's something else I've been focusing a lot on and talking with members of Wisconsin's congressional delegation about that has been really interesting, but also just a lot of observers around the state on the show and then just in my own time as well, listening to tons of different podcasts because um, what's happening right now is history in the making as we are living it, uh, including this uh, yet to come Senate trial of former President Donald Trump. Uh, we can get into any and all of that, Evan, but those are some of the things that have been on my mind and, and in my shows in the past couple of weeks. Awesome. So I love the <clears throat> gravitation back toward local. Um, yes. And what I would maybe to give people a little bit of the satisfaction of some public discourse about that the thing we just went through but also um but also to tie it back to local i'm i'm curious like what is there an impact on our like i guess some of our local representatives or what we're going to see in wisconsin because of loyalty to kind of this like line in the sand thing that that trump did I would illustrate, I think there is, Evan, and I would illustrate that by highlighting three different members of Wisconsin's congressional delegation. On one end of the of the spectrum, as I see it, you've got Republican congressman for the 8th District, Mike Gallagher. He actually broke with the president once in a high-profile way a few years back when he voted against the declaration of an emergency on the southern border. There was maybe a couple of dozen congressional Republicans that voted against that. Gallagher was one of them. But he has been pretty consistently supportive of President Trump. He definitely endorsed his reelection. He appeared with him at rallies, et cetera. Um, But he had a really strong response to the uh, Insurrection Day attack on the Capitol January 6th. And he really felt strongly that that was unacceptable, that that was dangerous, that that was damaging. However, he did not vote in favor of impeachment. So he was very obviously and clearly opposed to any objection to electoral votes. And that's obviously what President Trump was asking Republicans to do is pressure Mike Pence to not certify certain votes. Gallagher was not on board for any of that from the beginning. Then you've got Glenn Grothman, who said he was going to object, but after the insurrection at the Capitol decided not to object. Then on the other end, you've got Tom Tiffany, Republican who represents the Northwoods district. He said he was going to object. He did object. And even after the insurrection, he continued to object to the insurrection. So, or excuse me, to the certification of electoral votes. Mm. 
So you, there you have three different examples, basically. In Tom Tiffany, you've got the person who was saying the Trump things from the beginning and followed through. You've got Gallagher, who, though he was supportive of the president for partisan political reasons, was always a little skeptical of this election uh, questioning that was going on. And you got Glenn Grothman, who was parroting the lines but didn't follow through with the action. So. Those are sort of the three buckets, I think, that you could think about people falling into. Ron Johnson, the U.S. senator, definitely in the Tom Tiffany bucket over here. Um, and what, where those actions leave those people is yet to be determined. Uh, Mike Gallagher was basically saying that he figured he was signing his uh, political death certificate if he didn't go along with all of this stuff Republicans wanted to. And he didn't then vote for impeachment. As I said, 10 Republicans did vote for impeachment. So there's even yet a further separation Gallagher could have made with the president. And if you're interested, um, you can check out the January 13th episode of Fresh Take. I had Congressman Gallagher on the show for 45 minutes, basically talking through the impeachment vote he was going to make before he made it, um, which was really interesting in just hearing him just weigh a lot of the factors that were going to drive his vote. But you know, the potential outcomes, what could happen is that in a primary, if a, a Trump loyalist were to challenge Mike Gallagher in his congressional primary, it's possible there could be enough Republican voters there that Gallagher could lose a primary. Um, and then the Trump supported Republican would advance to the general and it depend who the Democrat is to see who would take that. This is a congressman who's been winning his district with 66% of the vote. So to think that he could lose a primary um, would be kind of surprising. But you got to remember in a primary, there's a lot fewer people voting and the fewer people are much more loyal to their party. And so that's the real risk here for someone like a Gallagher is if the party stays in the hands of those loyal to Trump, Gallagher could be in trouble. If, on the other hand, Republicans decide that this whole Trump experience was not the way to go forward, or if enough of them decide that, then it could be folks like Tiffany Gallagher, Fitzgerald and others, excuse me, Tiffany Grothman, Fitzgerald and Johnson and others who were very loyal to the president who could ultimately be on the short end of the stick. It depends which direction the party wants to move in. And that move still depends on a lot of things, including whether or not Donald Trump wants to start his own political party, which is something he's floated since he left, left office. Yeah, I heard like the Patriot Party or something. Yeah, although the work it takes to start a political party, I'm just going to say I'm very skeptical that he's going to put the work in to do that. What's your take on Kanye West's birthday party? <laughs> um, to be very honest, I think Kanye's got some things going on that have nothing to do with politics um, in his personal life, in his headspace. I have no idea what to make of Kanye uh, running for president on the birthday party ticket. Um, but I guess one of the things I'm happy about is that it didn't matter. Like, I'm just glad Kanye didn't become one of the sort of deciding factors in this. If Kanye had been on the ballot in Wisconsin and then Joe Biden won by 20,000 and suddenly there's just one more thing people can point to as right. a potential for shenanigans that, frankly, I don't think had anything to do with it. Um, but when you're when you have an election that's so close, almost any factor can be called the one that mattered because it's that close. Yeah. So jokes aside um, and. Honestly, this this will be, I, I think, where the conversation parts from the, the the Trump piece of it. I really was curious when I saw the insurrection. What you thought um, out of anybody in my life? 
and uh, I, I because sometimes I feel so numb to these things because of like I don't I don't know why can anybody answer that I feel like it's probably a pretty common thing yeah that uh, when I really saw it, it it was like this is this is bad but it's not it if to a degree as overplayed as it felt it felt underplayed like how how it's like we can't even we like lost a foothold in terms of like what we can call serious and not because of how politics is conducted nowadays yeah yeah a couple very interesting things in there and i'm going to take that last thing first um this feeling like we've lost a foothold on reality in our politics that is very real that is something i see um and i see it less so with the events of january 6 and more so with the lead up to it um because a lot of what led up to january 6th was a lot of people believing things they were told that they wanted to believe were true even though there was no evidence to support it um you know you can go and look up all the court cases where the trump campaign had an opportunity to present evidence of voter fraud they never presented any because they didn't have any evidence of voter fraud they had a lot of claims but they didn't have any evidence and so the court cases didn't go anywhere but I had maintained since the election day, Donald Trump was not running a legal strategy. He was running a PR strategy. And so to step away from Donald Trump, to see his efforts culminate in American citizens roaming the halls of the U.S. Capitol with the intent to lynch the vice president. And let's be clear, there were people that that's exactly what their plan was. Not all of them. There are plenty of people there who I think got caught up in the excitement, ended up doing things they never would have done on their own. Nonetheless, they violated the law and they should be held accountable. The people who organized this, the people who facilitated this, who made it possible for these largely innocent people to get caught up in it, that's not an accident. Militia leaders and others did this because they saw this as an opportunity to use Trump's supporters as a way to fight the U.S. government which is something some of these people have been meaning to do and planning to do for a very long time. But I didn't think about any of that when I was watching this whole thing happen. I was out walking the dog. I come back home. A friend texts me and says, oh, my gosh, are you watching this? Now, text messages like that have become sadly too common in the last few years in our politics. So I had no idea what he was talking about. I was very aware that the count of the Electoral College vote was happening. So I thought perhaps what I was going to turn on cable news to find was some outrageous speech someone was giving, mm-hmm. um, you know, some type of ceremonial or symbolic disruption to a process. I never imagined that I would see Americans using an American flag to beat a police officer to death. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. So to me, that that sig- signifies or symbolizes the bottoming out of a cult of personality that overtook one of the two political parties in our country. When Donald Trump told people that the election was stolen and they needed to go convince Mike Pence to stop counting the votes, they did exactly what he said. They didn't question it. They didn't ask him for grounding in constitutional law or, or anything else. Right. That's what our president said. And so that's what we did. That's not America. That's not how our system is supposed to work. And Donald Trump knew very well what he was doing. Um, He gleefully took it in, in one of his final few days in the White House. Um, And that then led to him being removed from social media, which I think was totally warranted, if not overdue. 
Um, to be very clear, social media companies don't have to give you <laughs> their platform. They don't have to do that. You don't have First Amendment rights to be on Twitter um, or Facebook or Amazon Web Services or any of the rest of it. So the thing about that day is it felt like this was a fork in the road. America had to choose if it wanted to go on the path towards magical thinking, conspiracy theories, and all-out civil war, or if we wanted to take a different path where all of those problems were still going to exist, but we were going to dedicate ourselves to trying to address them as one nation. And I think the words of Joe Biden's inaugural speech, though, of course, they're being um, twisted and misinterpreted by partisans on both sides, give me hope anyway that he wants to lead an effort that brings people together. Whether or not political actors will be a part of that process is up to them. But I'm convinced Joe Biden wants to be the president that tries to bring the country back together. There's a lot there. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot to see. And I think um, on the bright side, if you think about it, like <laughs> for as much as a cult of personality could do, it was kind of like it could have been worse. Like Way worse. And Absolutely. it honestly it honestly kind of shows, you know, how, I guess the lack of, of a, a movement that he had, at least in that moment, um, or maybe he has a movement, but a bunch of people drew the line at raiding the Capitol, you know, yeah. it's, I get what you're saying. It's hard to say. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about the fact that Donald Trump, um, he wishes he could have been a dictator, but he's just not competent enough to have been the dictator mm -hmm. that the powers he held as president could have allowed him to be. He just wasn't good enough at working the levers of power to affect the outcomes he wanted to. I think there's something to that. I also think there's something to the fact that after November, there was a lot of people who paid lip service to the stolen election claims, even though they knew in their heart of hearts that, yeah, that's not actually the case. A lot of those people uh, are in Congress, actually, mm -hmm. that, that know full well that Donald Trump lost the election, but they were saying that he won or that it was stolen because that's what their voters wanted to hear. Um, and so I think there's a moment here uh, for leaders Right. There's a, a need for leadership right now because people have this mistaken impression that the job of a member of Congress or a state legislator is to represent them, like to be a direct conduit for their views into the process of lawmaking. That is not how our system is supposed to work. And you can go back and read the founders on this. This is not at all what they had in mind. They wanted us to elect people because they knew that would temper the impulses of the crowd. They knew that elected officials would not directly channel the emotions of the people. And that was, that was a choice they made on purpose. They had seen direct democracy in action and they knew what it was susceptible to. And right now you have people on both right and left in our politics who are calling for a more uh, thorough direct democracy. When people say they want to get rid of the Electoral College, when people say they want to get rid of the filibuster, right now this is often coming from the Democrats. That's not always how it's going to be or how it always has been. Mm -hmm. These shoes often switch feet depending on who's holding power. But when you want to get rid of the Electoral College, when you want to get rid of the filibuster, you're trying to make our system more like direct democracy. And that is the antithesis of what the founders had in mind. As far as I'm concerned, January 6th is a harbinger and a warning of what direct democracy can lead to. Just because 
things can change so quickly based on who's in power. It's unbridled passion, right? When you are passionate about something and you're willing to run through a wall for it, you're probably not making rational choices. (laughs) And our whole system is based on trying to make rational choices in the interest of not only the most people, but the long term. And our politics right now are not operating in any way close to that model. And Donald Trump purposely pushed it in the opposite direction. I don't think he's the only one. And and the Republicans aren't the only one, as far as I'm concerned, to do that either. I think Bernie Sanders is doing stuff like this. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is doing stuff like this constantly. So this is not unique to the right or Republicans, and it's not unique to the left or Democrats or socialists or progressives or whatever people want to call them. This This is what happens when you're in power. You want more of it. And if you're good at working the levers of power like Mitch McConnell, you can stay in power and get a lot done. When you're bad at it, like Donald Trump, you don't last very long. Fair. Good point. So what do you think about – so what's the obvious choice to you in terms of rebuilding, like, the the conservative party or the (laughs) – Yeah. That's a great question, Evan. And I want to say I really think it's important for our system to have really strong voices and organizations on both sides of every issue. Um, So whether it's a Republican Party, I wish and I hope that that is what happens, that a Republican Party returns to being a conservative party, because as somebody who identifies as a conservative but not a Republican or a Democrat, I am a conservative. um, I feel like an orphan in our politics right now. Uh, And I find it hilarious, actually, when people get up on their high horse talking about how uh, true conservatives were the ones backing Donald Trump. Yeah, the guy who was pushing tariffs and trade wars and coddling up to Russia. And it just makes no sense. Like anybody who truly understands what conservative values and principles are could not with a straight face make an argument that Donald Trump in any way embodied those values. And so to the extent the Republican Party has sold out to Donald Trump, it has also sold out conservative values. So the question and, and I don't have an answer to this, Evan. I'll tell you very honestly, I don't have an answer um, because people are going to have to make a choice. Do they want a conservative party or do they want the Trump party? Because right now, that's what the Republican Party is as far as I'm concerned. It's the Trump party. And back to my point about the different future for different members of our congressional delegation, though the party could take different directions in different states. It could take different directions in different parts of states. Um, The Arizona Republican Party, for example, just censured their sitting governor because he didn't try to violate election law in a way that would have helped Donald Trump. So when you think about that, the Republican Party of Arizona just censured the sitting Republican governor of Arizona, as well as Cindy McCain, the widow of the last Republican senator to actually win statewide in that state because they've now lost both of their Republican Senate seats in Arizona and the state Republican Party is busy censuring their governor because he didn't demonstrate enough loyalty to Donald Trump. So that shows you the level of Trump sycophancy that has infected some state level parties. I will note uh, the Wisconsin Republican Party is seen as one of the leading parties, state level parties of the Republican Party in the country. So what happens here is going to be uh, influential in determining what this party looks like nationwide and what its prospects are in elections nationwide. But here's the other thing we got to remember, Evan, in a two party system, most people see their choice as A or B. 
And if B becomes objectionable enough, people will eventually go back to A. And so to that point, Joe Biden needs to make sure that he is addressing the perception, let alone the reality, that he would in any way be caving to the left or the left wing of his party uh, because he's got a midterm coming up in two years. And whether he runs for reelection or not, he can't afford to lose any seats because the Democratic majority in the House is like five and it's literally 50 50 in the Senate. So he has no margin for error. He cannot lose seats in the midterm. And he's got to hope that a lot of those Republicans and conservatives that voted for him for president are happy enough with what he's done in the first two years to not take away his congressional majorities, because otherwise his term will be over in two years. Yeah. Um, did uh, did it, some of the Trump uh, loyalty in any of the because you you talk like you talked to Ron Johnson. No, you talk to these people on your show. Like, did any of that surprise you? Wow, that's a great question. Um Having known Ron Johnson for a while, not well, I don't know him well, but I've interviewed him many times now over the last five years. Um, and I tracked his rise back in 2010 when he became the candidate for Senate when he was first elected. And to look at that Ron Johnson from 2010 and then see Ron Johnson in 2020, it's utterly unrecognizable. I mean, you have a guy who went to Washington talking about, you know, um, He's an accountant, right? He was all about trying to make the numbers work. He wanted to reform Obamacare or repeal it because he felt like it was going to bankrupt our country. These were sincerely held beliefs. Some of the stuff he's been saying lately, I find it very hard for someone with his level of demonstrated intelligence to actually sincerely believe. But again, Ron Johnson's up for reelection in 2022. So right now he's deciding what his political future is. He has certainly done as much as he could to try and win the, the favor of Trump loyalists, except he did not vote to object as he had planned to do to the certification of electoral votes. So even Ron Johnson did not go as far as some did in that regard. Um, but yeah, I talked to these people. It does surprise me because, again, the entire way that the Trump mindset has overtaken the Republican Party surprises me. Uh, it, it just shocks me that a party would allow itself to be taken over this way. But I actually did a whole week long focus on this in my takeaway monologues which is part of my radio show and available as a separate podcast if you search for the takeaway from fresh take uh but i do it's like seven eight minutes a day and i theme these out over multiple episodes and i did a whole series about the deal the republicans made with donald trump and how in the end it wasn't as good of a deal as they thought it was a faustian bargain where you're trading away your moral considerations to try and gain material advantage and it's exactly what the republicans did and up until january 6th it looked like it was maybe going to work out for them and then it blew up in their face as far as i'm concerned again you get a lot of different interpretations on that that's my take yeah so this is kind of a random question but go for um, it and to be clear to preface this question i uh have similar views as you um like pretty fiscally conservative pretty socially liberal don't like 90% of Democrats or Republicans as candidates, um, which, which might not completely represent your take. I don't want to put that and, up. Uh, I'll again. say that's close. That's yeah. very close. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, like, could somebody like Paul Ryan, because you were saying Wisconsin's a, a, a good example for Setsy Bar for Republican parties. Right. He kind of, like, left during this, like, 
chasm of chaos. Yes. Um, could he come back and be like a voice of reason or something? That's a really good suggestion. And he is someone who has the intelligence, the background, the record uh, to do that. Two things I think get in the way. First, when he left Congress, he joined the board of Fox News Corporation. And, you know, Fox News has it's been an interesting couple of years on Fox News. I don't watch Fox News because I don't watch any cable news. I think it's a giant waste of time. Mm -hmm. But he's on the board of Fox News. And so anytime he wades into the public, that is going to be the attack from the left. No matter what he says, oh, that's just the old Fox News stooge. And he also is seen by Republicans as having not been sufficiently loyal to Donald Trump. I mean, he called him out as literally the textbook example of racism when he made the comment about uh, Judge Curiel not being impartial because his parents were from Mexico. Um, so, so Paul Ryan's well on the record of not being a Trump loyalist. And the question becomes, like, let's just say uh, Paul Ryan throws his hat in the ring for Senate in 2022. Imagine you've got uber Trump loyalist Ron Johnson running against clearly established political insider, but non-Trump loyalist Paul Ryan, and they're facing Republican primary voters. I have a really hard time seeing how Paul Ryan wins that primary over Ron Johnson when the people that are deciding the primary are the most loyal Republican voters. Does that make sense? Does that mean that your take is that most Republican voters in Wisconsin are Trump loyalists? Well, so that's what we'll have to find out. Because this is why voting happens, because we don't know if the people who are the, the biggest backers of Trump, right, when you go on social media, they're still going to be loud and proud about it. But are they going to show up and vote for a Trumpy person? I don't know. We don't know yet. Will the people who were disgusted by what happened be willing to come and support a non-Trumpy Republican just to try and win back the Republican Party, so to speak. Because again, in Wisconsin, we have open parties, excuse me, open primaries. You can vote in either primary you want. So a whole bunch of Democrats could come vote in that primary and help uh, Paul Ryan win it, this hypothetical primary he has against Ron Johnson. So I, I set this up, Evan, as a way of saying, like, you could imagine this showdown happening. I have no idea where the votes are going to fall. I could imagine Paul Ryan getting his butt handed to him because Republicans are like, no, you proved where you stand and it's not with us. Get out of here. But this primary is going to be like 18 months from now. So it's really hard to know what the long, well, that's not even the long term, the medium term uh, effect of this will be, what the perception will be. I think a lot of that depends on what Donald Trump does in the next uh, year or so. I really think that's going to make a difference because mm -hmm. the desirability of their association with Donald Trump specifically is going to rise and fall with what Donald Trump does with his post-presidency. There's going to be a lot of policies that are going to long outlive Donald Trump, and I don't think that's actually what you need to keep your eye on. It's a style point. And if people want to come and they run a campaign that's attacking the media, attacking Democrats, attacking other Republicans, that's the Trump style, and that's what I'll be watching for, because that is the style that voters said they liked. He fights for us. They could not tell you what exactly he's fighting for, but he fights, and that's what they liked. So if you get a fighter versus a wonk in a Republican primary. Right now, if it was today, I'd say that wonk would have a hard time winning. Yeah. 18 months from now, it's hard to say. If you're talking solutions and you say right now, the solution we need is leadership in the conservative, in, in the right you know, candidate, right being you know, right of center. Correct. Then I think 
what we need is someone who can step up in the non-Trump lane in the right with a little fight. You got to take on some of those attributes to, um, you know, I guess yeah. that's maybe how tastes evolve or something. Uh, you got to be a tastemaker, I guess. And, take a little from column A and a little from column B, right? <laughs> but someone's got to fight in some way. Maybe the fight is against that, like, denialism approach to conservatism. Yeah, that's a really good point because there's potentially two fights to be waged. There's the fight within the Republican Party against the Q wing. And then you could see within the Republican Party, there's the fight against the socialist threat from Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, AOC, Nancy Pelosi, etc. The fight against the socialists is the one they've been waging this whole time, right? That's the one Donald Trump made his campaign about. And that was a losing campaign. So again, we're going to see in the midterms, you're going to have Republican members of Congress running on that message of fight, fight, fight against the socialism. Some of them are going to win, some are going to lose. You're going to have Republicans running to fight against the Q wing, right? Running against folks like Georgia Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, she's a loud and proud believer in QAnon and she's a sitting member of Congress. It's going to be hard to imagine her being in the same caucus with someone like Mike Gallagher, who has master's degrees and a PhD in national security studies. They're not only in the same caucus in the same house, they're in the same party. Right. And it's going to be really strange to see how that sorts itself out. So, again, I'm not here to tell you I know what's going to happen. I'm just telling you you better pay attention because it's going to be a very interesting fight over the next 18 months in the Republican Party. All right. So let's bring it back to northeast Wisconsin. So uh, as we discussed uh, right before we went live, how do we uh, how do we build um, what's the word? stability structure into our community as a person who's super involved in the community like yourself how do we build stability and structure into our community uh to thwart the potential chaos that may or may not ensue in two years in four years in ten years that is a fantastic question and I, there, I don't, th I mean, I'm, I'm going to just say this up front. There's not one strategy or tactic that's going to ensure that we can, you know, fight off the chaos. But I think one of the most important things we can be doing to try to build stability into our system, to try and build resilience in our system, is to build pipelines of leaders. So here's what I mean. When you have an open seat for Congress, Usually the party is the lead actor in finding someone to run for that seat. And they look to state assembly, state senate, uh, mayors, right? Other lower level elected officials to try and find a candidate for House of Representatives. For If Ron Johnson decides he's not going to run in 2022, well, now we got to find a candidate for Senate. Who are you going to look to? your cadre of House members, potentially, or maybe a former governor candidate like Scott Walker, but he's not very popular with the Wisconsin Republican Party right now. So don't put your money on Scott Walker for the Senate in 2022. But my point is, if you have pipelines, if you have a number of people who you view as ready to take that next step up, you've got options. And that makes it unlikely that some rando commando from left field is going to show up and suddenly you know, hop in the primary and take over. 
This is what happened in the 2016 Republican presidential primary is you had all these people who all felt like they were the best one for the establishment. And then rando commando Donald Trump won the whole thing because nobody wanted to step aside for the good of the party. So, again, leaving Trump aside, sorry that I brought him back into this. The, the long term strategy for building stability and resilience in our system is having these lengthy chains and pipelines of leaders ready to come up. That starts with city council and county board and school board. I mean, I'll just point out one thing right now. Uh, Appleton School Board is meeting right now to decide how to fill a vacancy that came up when somebody resigned. They had filled it. And then that guy was found to be following a lot of um, pinup and pantyhose pages on Facebook. Uh, and so that made the rounds. He withdrew. Now they have to decide, do they want to fill this vacancy that only lasts another two months? Um, but again, if they had pipelines of leadership, there'd be a bunch of people ready to step up. Now, the school board example highlights a problem with this, is if the existing leaders build the pipelines of leaders, it becomes really hard to get new thinking, new energy, new ideas into the system. Does that make sense? Because if yeah. people who are already in it are building the pipeline of leaders, likely they're going to fill that pipeline with people who agree with them. But at least then you have someone who's ready to step up. So. There, it's not a silver bullet, right? It's not without its own flaws, but I think that pipeline of leadership is one of the most important things we can do as a community to build stability and resilience against the kind of tumult and chaos we've seen for the last few years. Does that almost mean just more people participating? Is that kind of that tr like line of yeah. thought? I, I would say yes, because participation is the first step towards active engagement, right? Like you can't attend a city council meeting until you know when and where the city council meeting is. So just knowing the meeting is happening is the first step. Then you actually attend one. Now you see an issue they're debating that you care enough about that you're actually gonna write a, a letter or an email to your alderman. Just by gutting that far, you're now more actively engaged in local government than 90% of people in your community. Mm -hmm. So just getting to the point where you pay attention enough to know what your council is talking about, to send a message to your council member, let alone then maybe running for city council or, or short of that, even just getting appointed to a committee or a board or a commission. There are tons of vacancies on these in every community. And if you never step up, you're never going to get appointed. But if you don't even know the vacancies exist, you can't step up. So again, awareness is the most basic, fundamental first step. Then you have to actually pay attention. Then you have to get involved. And then you can be on that pipeline to leadership. Interesting. But I will, if I could just extend on that a little bit, mm -hmm. that's just talking about government. You can be involved in your community in a lot of ways that have nothing to do with government, like volunteering for uh, nonprofits, being on nonprofit boards, um, being actively involved as a coach for youth sports or you know other youth activities, being a mentor with big brothers, big sisters, that kind of thing. There are tons of ways to begin that venture of leadership, because what happens then is once you've stepped up and you've started showing leadership, other leaders are going to notice that and they're going to invite you to further, deeper, higher levels of leadership experience and engagement along that pipeline. And that's what it takes to then be in a position to be this person. That someone's like, hey, you should run for that open council seat or, hey, did you ever think about being on school board? And from there, then you can start doing things like run for state legislature, Congress, et cetera. 
Beautiful. Yeah, I I like that you brought it around everything, really, because it's just like <laughs> that's what they. I mean, that's what they say about politics is like you, we need more people involved in the the process. I think Obama said that a lot and has said that a lot since being out of office, but it applies to everything. It's like whether it could be literally your career getting more involved, but you can get more involved in the community and it could benefit not only it does it, you know, it's, it's all relationships. Like it's all the strength of, of the, the web, you know, like, yeah, that's it. The, the web of interpersonal connections and relationships. I think of that, what you're describing right there, that is what other people would call the social fabric. Right? Yeah. The social fabric is this thing we're all a part of. It's each of our individual stories and experiences woven together to create this tapestry. And I'll tell you, over the last two months or two years, I feel like our social fabric is being ripped down the middle. And it's by creating those interpersonal relationships at the local level that those threads can begin to bind once again and, and, and heal that tear in our social fabric. And that is, you know, a solid tight bind on your social fabric. That's the stability I think you're talking about in that first question. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that, I mean, I wanted to talk to you about leadership Fox cities and I think that's pro as far as I understand, it seems like a high level way of getting involved. You can obviously start much lower than that but yeah I just can't help but feel like in a low point you know if you, you almost can't not see this as a low point even if you're an eternal optimist like um, I'm a very optimistic person but you have to you know at, at least address the reality of how the yeah. majority of people feel in the situations we're in yeah, Evan, I agree with you 100% on that. I'm a very optimistic person, and this is not a moment where it's easy to find the silver lining. Um, the cloud feels very dark right now, and I got to be honest, things like Mitch McConnell saying that he's open to potentially voting for impeachment in the Senate, that is a huge signal of a change that could go in the direction um, that I'm talking about right here is, is sort of redirecting the future of the party. But I don't think it's actions of people like Mitch McConnell that are going to make the long-term difference. It's the decisions and the actions of individuals that are at the local level, because that's what's, that's what's powering up the party, right? That is what they're responding to. Anybody out there who's listening right now who doesn't like what your congressman is doing, I hope you're letting them know him or her, uh, because that's how they work. And trust me, other people are letting them know how they feel. And so whether that's your member of Congress, your state legislator, or your city or county rep, if you're not communicating with them, you, you might as well not exist because they don't know what you think until you tell them. And you, I don't think it's fair to assume that they're just going to do the thing you want them to because they know that that's the right thing. Because there's a lot of people who might disagree with you. And if those people are voicing their opinion, they're the ones who are going to get their way. What's the old saying? The squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? The, the need that makes the noise that gets the attention will get the attention and get the, the remedy. will get the resources, whatever it is. And um, I think there's a lot of people out there who like to throw their hands up with disgust and say how terrible politics are. And then they feel like that kind of rids them of any responsibility for it. I actually think those are the people most responsible for the situation we find ourselves in. The large majority of people in our society who generally speaking, ignore politics. That's the problem. 
Interesting. Yeah, and um, now I mean now if we're staring at a at a torn fabric, you know, in in some you know theoretical slash literal war war zone of social uh, you know enterprise, I think like you said the the grassroots we as individuals all have to walk up and and i guess decide what we're doing with those pieces and i think now is the best time to get involved whether it's um in the lowest levels of the political process whether it's emailing representatives whether it's joining a nonprofit, uh you know volunteering at um you know any anything really but something that that fills your soul a little bit and Evan, if I could, there's one other piece of that that I think is important because there's a really popular mindset right now that people think, okay, well, Evan said I need to get involved. So I sent my city council member an email and then they still voted the way that I told them not to. What the hell? Uh, warning, <laughs> one email to your representative is not going to determine their vote. Right? You do not get to decide how your representative votes. That's not how this works. If you're the representative, then you get to decide. Um, but being engaged is not the same as then getting your way. And this is something that a lot of folks on the right and the left have been getting wrong for a long time in our politics. They get all outraged. They say, we told them not to do that, and then they did it anyway. Why aren't they listening? And then the, that frustration becomes the justification for political violence, like we saw at the Capitol on January 6th, or like the political violence we saw in cities across this country during 2020. If you listen very closely, the rationalizations behind both of those things are almost exactly the same. And so there's something people need to understand and accept about political engagement is being engaged does not get you your way. There is a process of persuasion of compromise that is endemic to how democracies work, right? If you want to be, get your way all the time, then you should live in a dictatorship because it's the only way you're going to get what you want all the time. And maybe in your little household, you are the dictator. Congratulations. Savor it because you're not getting your way in everything all the time in our government. Nobody does. And so I just want to put that out there. When we put out this call to get engaged, get involved, don't think that your, your first effort at engagement is going to lead to some revolutionary world-changing event. Maybe it will. But if it doesn't, don't then allow that to become your excuse to revert back to apathy. Because change takes persistence and persuasion, not insistence or petulance. You've got to be able to convince people, not just insist that you should get your way. You've got to persuade people to come over to your side. And there's been a lot of talk about the calls that Joe Biden made in his speech for unity. And I think we do have and should have unity, not unity of position or you know, policy preference, but unity of purpose. We can disagree on all the policies, but we have to agree that we're one nation. We have to agree that Congress passes the laws and the president carries them out. Right. Those are the table stakes, or as I'm calling it in my takeaways this week, those are like the terms of service to actually use the United States government as a service. You've got to agree to these terms of service. And I feel like some people are not willing to live by the terms of service. And if they don't get their way, then they're ready to chuck the whole system. And that's that sort of apathy and anarchy that is really dangerous to a democracy. Well said. And I think that extrapolates out to uh, any involvement. It's all slow. 
you know yeah. and um i know at being 26 i know a lot of people my generation um don't like that <laughs> and uh, yeah for sure and whether you're involved in a nonprofit, whether you're trying to you know uh clean up a park or whether you're trying to you know get some political thing passed or whatever just know it's it's not going to be instant you're absolutely right it is about engagement not flipping a switch yeah absolutely so definitely so i guess changing changing topics we have we have a a little bit left here um so i i did want to talk about uh, a specific way of getting engaged that I'm very interested in that you went through and yes. I like went through the future 15 thing through the chamber and learned all these things I didn't know about as someone for the last four years building out a media company that tells people, you know, how to get engaged with the community and all these things going on. And I found out Oshkosh has, has this thing called leader. I think it's leadership Oshkosh. Yes. There's leadership Fox cities through the Fox cities chamber. And there are these programs, uh, where you basically get involved in the way we're saying, but in a very organized way. And I'm very interested in going through it. I want to hear, uh, your fresh take on it. Yeah. Yeah, um, Knowing that this is where we wanted to go, this did have something to do with my prescription a little earlier about building that pipeline of leadership, because that's exactly what these programs are about, is allowing people who want to get on or into that leadership pipeline to get some of the exposure that's required to start making those social connections that can get you on to that ladder, to start getting those opportunities, to get those invitations. Leadership Fox Cities is a program offered by most chambers of commerce in most communities around the country, actually. So a lot of these programs exist. I went through this program in 2015, I think it was. I was part of a group. Most of the classes at the Fox Cities Chamber, about 40 people. Every one of them is paying or their employer is paying to put them through this process. It lasts nine months. You meet for a full day once a month. And you have a small group project you're working on throughout the year at the same time. So that's kind of like the the commitment is it's a one full day meeting each month. And then you've got this small group project that you're working on on the outside or, or on your free time. And these days, the one day each month, each day is uh, focused on something. So there's arts day or business day or healthcare day or education day. And in that day, All the participants in the class will go through these set of experiences. You might talk to leaders and do a sort of a panel discussion or a QA. and a You might actually go and experience something. For example, on Law Enforcement Day, one of the highlights, if you want to think of it that way, is you actually go and tour the county jail, including my year lunch at the county jail, which was interesting. Uh, But it's these sort of immersive experiences that you're having, meeting community leaders, business leaders, nonprofit leaders, um, people who are the movers and shakers in the community. And they're coming in to talk to you as a group, a Leadership Fox Cities class, about what they do, about how you can get involved. And then each day is facilitated in such a way that 
you know, you're not just kind of bumbling along, hoping to pick something up. There are very clear things you are meant to be learning. Um, and then the, the organizers kind of facilitate these conversations to make sure you're getting what you're supposed to get out of the day. So there's like nine of those different days, a graduation ceremony at the end in May. And then there's this small group project that goes along the way where you're doing something for a nonprofit. So you're really building the social connections. You're gaining experiences and knowledge. And you're also kind of taste testing. Right, you're getting a sense or a flavor of a lot of different groups and organizations and sectors in the community. And maybe you're somebody who works in media like I do or communications. And then you go and you do arts day and you're like, oh my gosh, I never thought about this as a potential career path, or I'd never heard of this nonprofit. I wonder if they need board members. And it just gives you so much more access to getting involved because now you know the people to talk to, you know, the groups that are involved, you know, the opportunities that are there. And now you're on the radar too. And so it's a great way uh, of getting started on becoming the kind of leader we were just talking about yeah it's it's a beautiful concept and it's pretty plug and play as far as i'm concerned and uh i i just wanted to try to uh i wanted to talk to you we're we're gonna talk a little more but also the fact that i didn't know about this is just like (laughs) blows my mind maybe that's ignorant or something but well I'll, i'll tell you evan i don't think it's your fault on this one You are, as anybody who knows you will attest, you're a unique individual, right? (laughs) You're in a situation building your own business and brand. It's a little different than most people who do Leadership Fox Cities because it's run through a chamber. And so most of the people who do this work for large regional employers. Their employer pays to put them through this because the employer wants to have these next generation leaders on their staff. And so it's the business interest to invest in these people, to put them through this leadership training. And so that's where it's mostly advertised is to these business leaders who are members of the chamber already active. And so given, you know, that you're kind of on the ground working, uh, scrapping and scraping and doing a great job with Venture Wisconsin, um, I'm not surprised you hadn't heard of it. Uh, Don't blame yourself. Um, But I, I think all chambers would love to be able to do a better job of getting the word out about it because they do know what a great opportunity and asset and program this is awesome thanks for the kind words i appreciate it (laughs) (laughs) i mean it um so what was your what was your service project or is that what it's called a service project they're, they're sort of called small group projects, which is more descriptive than anything else, because of your 40, you are assigned a group. You don't get to pick your group. They put people in a group based on these uh, personality assessments you do at the very beginning, trying to match skills and make sure every group has the right balance of different personality types, et cetera. So the groups are very intentional. And then as a group, you sort of define the project you want to do. And we, as my group, we took on as our project an outdoor green space that was already owned by the boys and girls club of the Fox Valley in downtown Appleton. But the green space wasn't really being maximized to its fullest potential. And so we decided that we wanted to activate this space with a couple of things. So first we just did like some cleanup of the space. It's a fenced in parcel of a grassy lot with a couple little trees on it. We did some cleanup on that. We built some picnic tables to add to that space so that they could actually take some of their programming outside. There weren't any tables or chairs or anything in this space until we built those picnic tables. They had some raised bed gardens. We determined that the beds themselves were fine, but we cleaned them up. And then we added some 
banners that we had made that actually were meant to teach kids about healthy food, healthy uh, activities. And so the whole idea was to turn this green space into an active, healthy lifestyle asset for the Boys and Girls Club, where kids could learn about healthy food, they could grow food, um, they could be active and do exercises. So we actually sort of took something that already existed and tried to elevate it and maximize it. The, the range of the kinds of projects that people do really runs the entire gamut. People will create and run their own nonprofit fundraiser that then each year they keep doing because they build such a good following for it. So the, the, the scope and scale of these projects is really um, the only limit is your imagination and your ambition. Um, and so this is one of the cool parts of it because you really do have a chance in the time of your experience with Leadership Fox Cities to make a difference in the community. Very cool. Can I ask you, based on your choice there, are you like, do you have a environmental bend, bent to your approach? I mean, not particularly. I will say this. I, I'm, I'm constantly thinking about the environment as an issue because it is such a salient issue for so many different voter groups right now. And when I was in graduate school, I got a master's in public policy and specialized in energy policy. And so I tend to think about environmental issues a little differently when I think about them as energy issues. Um, but the health and lifestyle thing, I'll be very honest, Evan, that project would not have been my choice. If I was picking our small group project, it would not have been that. But everybody else in our group liked that. And so I was on board. That's funny. The reason I ask is because that that, a project like that would have been up my alley. Um, sure. That's awesome. So overall, like, what was your takeaway from Leadership Fox Cities? So this was interesting. I was in kind of a unique spot because when I was a participant in Leadership Fox Cities, I was an employee at the Fox Cities Chamber. So I actually worked for the chamber while I was doing leadership. And I was kind of in the early stages of getting ready to run for mayor. And so I did Leadership Fox Cities sort of as like a check the box. I wanted to have done it. And this was the right time to do it because I knew that if I got elected mayor, I wouldn't probably do it then. And um, so the experience was great. I loved it. Um, I had a lot of people in my class that I knew, but there were also lots of people in that class I did not know. And so even for someone like me who has a pretty extensive social network in this community, there were lots of people there that I met for the very first time and people that I have met and stayed in touch with. So the social part of this should not be underestimated. That was a great part of it. But when it comes to things like meeting some of the speakers or understanding some of the topics, I had been exposed to and knew a lot of that stuff already. Even when I knew that stuff already, the experiences as they were presented were still really, really interesting. I'll give you an example. I was a sitting member of the city plan commission and planning to run for mayor. So government day was one of those where like, I didn't know how much I would have to learn, but the way they structured the day for us, we actually met in the county board chambers and we got some presentation about the uh, building of the Fox Cities Exhibition Center because there was some public participation through funding that had to be arranged and, and there was these issues. And we got a presentation of the issues from the county executive, the mayor and some other people. And then we as a group 
had a debate exercise where we were assigned one aspect of the issue and we either had to take pro or con. And as our little group, we had to develop our argument and then present it. And then at the end, the whole group voted whether or not to approve the exhibition center. So it was almost like a little exercise, a mock uh, trial run of debating the issue, having a vote. And it was an issue that had literally been debated and voted on in our community not too long before that. So that was just a really cool way that even though I was really knowledgeable and exposed to a lot of this stuff, I'd never done that before. And I'd never heard some of the arguments that people made in that day in those chambers. And so even for somebody who had a lot of exposure in that specific topic, I still learned a lot. And then there were other topics that I had almost no exposure to where I also likewise learned quite a bit. Like lunch at the county jail? Yeah. Like what did I learn that day? I learned that jail baloney is really slimy and I don't want to ever eat it again. (laughs) Um, jail mac and cheese has like a whole bunch of cayenne pepper in it apparently I don't know why but ours did I don't ever want to eat that again Um, so yeah it was interesting and I'll tell you touring the jail was among the more eye-opening experiences I've ever had in my life Uh, and this was just the county jail this is not even a prison we also on a different day toured the Oshkosh Correctional Institute so I know in my leadership class, we got to see the jail and the prison. Um, they're very different. And I don't want to end up in either one of them. That was the lesson. <laughs> For sure. Well, cool. I appreciate you sharing your experience. Um, I definitely, I don't know exactly timing. I think I'm too late on this, this year. And it's kind of weird with, with COVID this year, apparently. But yeah. Uh, yeah, it's probably something I'll do next year. And I hope more people find out about it, especially passionate people who maybe aren't in those big corporate environments who um, have something to gain, whether they're entrepreneurs themselves or um, really anybody. Uh, and then another question is, is it is there like an, an age limit or is it anybody or what's the... I'm not aware of any limit on age. In fact, um, in my class, there were more than one member of my leadership buck cities class that was above the age of 50 beautiful yeah they were either new to the community or they were new to a leadership role within their company and at that point the company wanted them to have a little more leadership experience and so leadership buck cities was the way to do that but we had a couple people that were we'll say on the uh downslope of their career rather than the upswing wow that's cool so let's uh I have a couple fun questions for you. Fun for me, at least. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about, and we might've touched on this at the end of last talk too, but, um, basically in this, like, you know, new world, let's say, um, everyone's talking about the new normal and and new reality and, and lack of consensus reality and where we headed. Um, what what are some of the things and and maybe these have changed for you that like you think Wisconsin maybe Northeast Wisconsin in particular can uh, take as a feather something very defined and and that we have the potential to you know either be experts at or be leaders in or um, you know put our eggs in that basket and and yeah. which feathers can we put in our cap. First is the low cost of living feather. (laughs) We take it for granted when we live here, um, but people who don't live here are constantly astonished at how inexpensive it can be to live here. Um, 
we should be promoting and advertising that. I truly believe that we should literally have uh, magazine ads and transit ads and TV ads and, and all ca- digital ads, just literally putting a house in Wisconsin and a house in California next to each other with the price. That's it. That's the whole ad. <laughs> like I would love to see an ad campaign like that because to your point in this new normal, um, there's a lot more distance work going on, right? People can work from anywhere. Mm-hmm. So just because you work for a company whose headquarters is in California, why can't you live in Wisconsin? Let me let me push back quick. So to me, that is beautiful for now. And to me, that represents something that could potentially change rapidly sure. if there was some kind of massive migration for one reason or another. Yeah, housing is already uh, expensive here relative to other things, but it's not even close to how expensive it is, even in a place like Chicago or the Twin Cities. Yeah. So like... Even within our Midwest region, Northeast Wisconsin has competitive advantage when it comes to cost of living, cost of doing business, cost of trans transit. Um, Mm -hmm. We have, I don't want to get too wonky here, but we have really vast warehousing and logistics expertise in Northeast Wisconsin. The only problem is we're kind of like a dead end geographically. Like there's, you know, if we were Kansas, that might be really helpful Mm -hmm. because we're at crossroads, but Wisconsin's kind of a dead end up here. Um, but nonetheless, there are industries that want and, and can take advantage of that stuff. Um, so when it comes to like just getting people, I think the cost of living, you're right, that, that can potentially change. Um, but we would need to see like the entire borough of Brooklyn want to move to Outagamy County in order to see the kind of uh, rise in cost of living that would really be disruptive to the people living here. Now, for folks who aren't making enough money even here is not cheap to live. So let's just be, you know, whole holistic and, and open-minded about that too. But when you're talking about how our region can position ourselves for future success, that low cost of living is actually something both for individuals, families, and on the business relocation side, that's a major advantage. One other thing I would mention in the regards of this, and I will tell a quick story to set this up. When I worked at the chamber, we brought a whole group of what are called site selection consultants to our area. These are people whose job it is to find out where Amazon or any other major company should locate their next facility. They're saying, okay, we need a warehouse in this general region, by which they mean the upper Midwest. Go find us the best place to put this warehouse. The site selection consultants are the ones that go and find the sites and then do the analysis and bring recommendations back to the company. So these selection consultants are key to bringing major economic development projects to our region. So as a project, we brought eight of those consultants to our community at one time showed them around, showed them sites. But more importantly, we got them together with business leaders, nonprofit leaders, education leaders. And the thing that came out of that more than anything else, it was across the board. Every single one of them said it was their number one takeaway. Our community is better at public, private collaboration and partnerships than any other region they had ever seen ever anywhere in the country. It's amazing. That is not something I ever would have guessed. Because, again, to us, it's just like how we do things here, right? Mm -hmm. But when you hear, like, on my show on Friday, the city manager for the city of Oshkosh explaining that they're going to use their next round of CARES Act funding, it's like $300,000, rather than funding their own programs, they're going to put a lot of that money into programs that are chosen and funded by the Community Foundation and United Way. 
because they know that those organizations are the ones that understand who among the nonprofit sector has the best capacity to address the issues they're trying to address with this money. So it's just a perfect example of where the government knows better than to try to spend the money themselves. They give it to a nonprofit to spend. And a lot of those nonprofits are partnered with businesses for volunteers, for funding, for supplies, all that stuff. So that's another thing, again, in the future where profit margins are getting squeezed, where, you know, the, the freedom to collaborate across distances is making things possible that people never thought of before. For a region that specializes in collaboration and does it so well, that's really something that we should not only be highlighting as something we can do well, but that we could actually teach other people how to do. And a lot of it's cultural, so there's only so much you can teach. But I actually feel really strongly that the cost of living and our collaboration skills are two major competitive advantages our region has that we are not even beginning to exploit in a marketing sense. That's, Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> Is that what you're asking? Yeah, it's beautiful, too. Uh, I recently read an article in like a, a magazine that... It, it might have been Insight. Otherwise, it was one I had never heard of before. It was some a business news in Northeast Wisconsin. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Okay. And it was on the Microsoft Titletown Tech collaboration and yep. why they chose. Uh, they talked to the you know uh, representative from Microsoft who's you know dedicated to that project, and she said, um, "Oh man, now I'm blanking." Um, It, it it was something along those lines, but basically they chose Green Bay out of seven different communities. Um, I think I want to say because of, you know, one or both of those reasons. And um, yeah, it was, it was, it was the community collaboration thing um, yeah. because when we launched the, we brew, uh, the, we brew deck project, um, I actually put in the description on our product page on our website that that factoid that Microsoft chose Green Bay for Titletown Tech, which is a startup accelerator because of how collaborative our community is. And um, to me, that was parallel to what we were doing, bringing breweries together. And it's such a small example, but... Uh, not the title town tech, I guess the, the we brew project, but well, yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right though, Evan, a lot of what you're doing with your work with venture Wisconsin is highlighting this exact thing. It's, it's showing how, you know, we're just, we're ambitious and we bootstrap it and we make it happen. Now, of course, we're not the only place in the country that does that, mm -hmm. but the collaboration between actors and players in the game, I, I got to tell you, I, I believe I, I have no evidence for this. This is just my personal feeling. Part of the reason that we're so good at collaboration is because relative to other parts of the country, we are a relatively humble culture and people here. Like collaboration's easy when you don't care who gets the credit, right? Okay. It's when everybody wants the credit that collaboration gets harder. And so that humility works in our favor here where it's like, listen, we just want good things to happen. And I think that's what you're doing with Venture Wisconsin. It's what I'm trying to do with Fresh Take. I just want people to get good information. Um, whether that means I'm having Republican guests or Democratic guests or whatever they are, academics, uh, business people, whatever, trying to bring people good information. You're trying to bring people connections to their community and ways to have fun and support local business. That kind of collaboration doesn't happen everywhere, and, and we shouldn't take it for granted here. Yeah, it's awesome. I think in this new normal, what, what do we have to do? 
I r- truly believe, and this goes back to that, you know, me asking you if the outdoors and nature piece is, or the environmental is of interest to you, but I think we do have to mirror nature, which like, I think what set Western culture on our kind of path was domination of nature and like this kind of like, uh, you know, what's it called? Survival of the fittest mindset. And now we're kind of like actually looking at nature and being like, oh, wait, each part collaborates in their own way. And this one gives resources to this one who gives resources to that one. Sometimes for no reason other than just because it has to to work. And I think if a community can or a region can operate in that way which like you're saying i think we have a solid foundation maybe a head start on everybody in that regard i truly believe that that's going to be paramount for northeast wisconsin yeah i i want to take something you said in there evan because it really resonates with me this idea that our society our progress as humans has been about dominating nature um because i think you're right I think for a long time, humanity understood control as dominance, right? That the way to control something was to dominate it. But anybody who's tried to control or dominate a snowflake by controlling it knows that you end up with nothing. And so there's a certain uh, revelation or realization that's coming, I think, that there is a potential for control without dominance, right? You can control something not by dominating it, but by influencing it. And the best way to influence something is to gain its buy-in, to work with it as opposed to against it or over it. And I think that is key. And that's very true is we need to, as you said, mimic the style of nature where every piece has its place and every step is important, not because it is equally uh, significant, but because the next step requires the step that came before it. But if I could, I, I would just add one other thing about this idea of nature. Because I actually think our ability to dominate our human nature is important and essential for the progress and continuance of our society. And I'll tell you what I mean. Human nature is tribal. Human nature is scared of strangers. Human nature is violent. And so the way we've been able to form a functional, successful human society is by suppressing some of those elements of our human nature by subjugating the instincts and habits of our human nature to the instincts and habits of society, where we say, okay, I'm going to not punch that person in the face <laughs> because that's not what we do in society, right? Maybe, maybe they did look at me dirty and in a normal uh, tribal honor-based society, I'd go punch them right in the mouth, but that's not how our society works. We have to suppress our genuine, authentic human nature in order to have our society work the way that it's supposed to. And this goes back to that thing we were talking about before, about immediate gratification and wanting to get your way. That's human nature, right? Human nature is petulant. Human nature is impatient. All of these things that work against the long-term health of our society. So for the health of society and our our governmental system, there are elements of our nature, our human nature, that we need to suppress, control, and dominate. Not because you know, they're, they're evil or wrong, but they're, they're counterproductive to the goals of a healthy society. And the people who say like, oh, that doesn't feel right. That's how, you know, if it feels right, that's human nature. 
But if it doesn't feel right and you're not supposed to do it, that's because that's what we need to do for society. And I think that's one of these sort of really fundamental realizations that I've had over the last year and that saw I saw come to life on January 6th, where that was human nature run amok at the Capitol on January 6th. That's what that was as far as I'm concerned. And if we can be successful as a society to get those instincts and urges under control, we can have a successful society, but it can't be a society that just lets loose of our instincts and our urges because that's a state of nature. That's chaos. That's anarchy. And that is not going to work for a society. So I know that's a little far afield, but when you talked about um, mimicking nature, there's also parts of our nature that we need to try and distance ourselves from for the health of our society. So not to get too wonky or philosophical there, but I wanted to. No, I don't think, I don't think that's offbeat at all. I think uh, I would almost replace the word instinct with ego Mm, absolutely like how do we suppress our egos more consistently because i i don't know and i do i guess i i do know i have ideas about it but i think like if you look at primate species like they're all male dominated hierarchical and that's that's what we need to question is is we're a primate species so how do we um how do we suppress that ego that is our human nature, as you put it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, should we end the show with two book recommendations? I've got two book recommendations that come to mind on this. Send it. The first, on sort of the larger political societal thing and this whole idea of suppressing human nature in order to make society work, that is a key idea in the book called Suicide of the West by Jonah Goldberg. He is a conservative writer and thinker. Um, Some really, really good books. Don't let that throw you. Everybody can get into and appreciate this book, Suicide of the West. Really, really, really good book. Very thoughtful. Highly recommend it. The other one on this last topic is a book by Ryan Holiday called Ego is the Enemy. It's much shorter. It's a very easy read. It has a compliment book called The Obstacle is the Way. And it talks all about suppressing your human nature. You know, you want to get the easy way. That's not the best way. The hard way is the best way because that's the way that teaches the most lessons and provides the most benefit to the person who's enduring it. Both of these books, I highly recommend. Ego is the Enemy. The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. Is cannabis the easy way? (laughs) No comments. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sapiens is also a really interesting one. It's not exactly as pointed toward what we're saying as the two you just recommended, but um, Sapiens. Sapiens. It's by Noah uh, Harari, Yoval, Yoval okay. Noah Harari, or something like that. Oh, yeah, okay, that sounds familiar. Um, and basically it's just a human history of like what makes us human and where do we come from and what might be next. Um, it's it's a fantastic book. Um, man, we covered everything from politics to evolutionary biology here tonight. Perfect. (laughs) That's funny. And leadership Fox cities in the middle. (laughs) (laughs) Um, cool. So in terms of the things that make Northeast Wisconsin unique, Next time we talk, we got to get we got to get specific because I think those two things you mentioned are foundational and I'm looking for like, what are our niches? So um, something to just wrap your mind around. So maybe a question to the to the fans. What do you think could be Northeast Wisconsin's niche? Um, I guess we'll uh, we'll share our thoughts. We'll, We'll share our thoughts in the future. 
Evan, if you are looking for another guest on that topic, um, you may want to consider talking to Brad Toll at the Green Bay Convention and Visitors Bureau or Pam Seidel with the Fox Cities Convention and Visitors Bureau, because they're very much on the beat of thinking about those niches, uh, but more from a tourism angle. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that's the direction um, that would interest you, but they might have some interesting things to say about the niches and how we bring people here, market our region, et cetera, um, that might be helpful to inform the longer term, bigger picture that you're talking about. Definitely. It's tourism, but it's also that talent retention. I, and just to, as a final thought, because I know talent retention is a buzzword that we could go deep into. Um, yeah. I believe, and this is like a, a fun little theory, I guess, that communities of the future, given exactly what you said about you don't necessarily have to be where you're working anymore. Um, so I think that literally there will be communities in you know, Nevada or Colorado that are literally climbing communities. Rock climbers just move there and make their own rock climbing utopia. I think that, I think that people will build intentional lives around niches and they will choose their geographical location based on that. And that's why, that's what I'm interested in is what is Wisconsin's niche. Um, and hint, hint, I think craft beer is one of them. (laughs) I think outdoor recreation probably fits in that in a very variety of forms as well. Absolutely. 100%. You mentioned the climbing communities. I could see something very similar around certain kinds of hunting. Hunting, fishing. fishing. Yep. Yep. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, very interesting. Cool. Or even, I mean, if you're, you know, obviously if you're super serious about skiing, you, you want to go to the mountains. But if you live in northeast Wisconsin, you actually have some pretty decent skiing options here too. And so it's kind of like having, you know, the the waterfront as well as the mountains. There's like the, the mix maybe. It's like about having, you don't have the best of everything, but you've got enough of everything that you don't have to go anywhere. That kind of thing too. Interesting. Okay, now you got me thinking. I can, I'm looking forward to the next time we talk. Yeah, definitely. And the thing is, sky's the limit. We could build ski resorts like Abu Dhabi or something. I don't know. I don't, maybe it's impossible, but it's, it's something to think Nothing's about. Nothing's impossible. Exactly. Nothing is impossible. All right. Well, I know you got to get running, Josh. I appreciate it greatly and looking forward to, um, to, to next time and let's keep the fabric together. <laughs> Yeah, let me quick uh, put out a plug. You can listen to me weekdays on WHBY uh, Fresh Take from 830 to 11. You can stream it at WHBY.com or tune in on an actual radio, AM 1150, FM 1035 in Appleton or 1063 in Oshkosh. Or you can get it anywhere you get podcasts. Just search Fresh Take. You can also search for the takeaway from Fresh Take. That's the monologue. Or Civic Revival is the Rule of Law podcast I co-host with attorney Kristen Shireman. You can find that anywhere you get podcasts and uh, looking forward to hearing from listeners here. Evan, always appreciate the chance to connect with your audience. Keep up the great work with Venture Wisconsin and we'll do it again soon. Beautiful. Thanks, Josh. You're a local treasure. Have a great night. (laughs) Likewise, my friend. Congrats on Future 15. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It truly means a lot to me. 